Alright guys, let's uh, open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and I'll explain what we're doing here. Philippians 1 verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I like that verse. It's short and sweet, but it explains the Christian's goal on life right now. For you to live means Christ. That should be your passion. That should be your obsession. That, that's why you're alive if you're a Christian. If, that's, if Christ is not why you're alive, retitle yourself. But then it says something strange. And it says, to die is gain. Because that's not usually how we look at death. Death is usually looked at as the opposite of gain. Alright, when I die, my 401k, my massive bank account, obviously I'm not talking about me, right? My, my you know, mansion, my five cars in the 20 car garage, like all this stuff, all my friends, my reputation, my popularity, my accomplishments, my career, all of these things are gone when I die. They're not here anyways, but anyone who has anything like that, anything that you own right now, gone when you die. So actually, what usually is said is that to live is fill in your God, your passion, and to die is loss. That's usually how it's said. But what Paul does here, by saying to die is gain, he is magnifying Christ above life itself. To be able to say that when I lose everything, I'm actually gaining. Because that is how much more valuable Christ is to me than anything and everything I have on this earth. So that's how it could be said that to die is gain. Is if a man cherishes, a woman adores Jesus Christ on this life in this life, on this earth right now. So when a person lives for Christ, they truly can say to die is gain because they've discovered the greatest satisfaction and joy and pleasure that can be provided under the sun. And every hindrance will be removed at death to receive that pleasure like they never have been able to ever before. So, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's, that's the Christian's, um, that should be the Christian's slogan. And that's my goal tonight, is that we would see that verse and say, yes, God, I want the kind of life right now that I can say my death is gain, not loss. So, um, I hope that by interviewing my sister right here, Michelle, my sister, maybe you can see the resemblance, people say they can. I guess that's a good thing for me. <laughs> um, good job. I hope that by um, interviewing her about her recent mission trip to Uganda, that we would learn that this life is too short to waste. So I don't want us to waste our life. I want us to live for Christ and to see death as gain. Um, 
I don't do this because Michelle is the best example I've ever seen. That's not the re okay. I I was born with her. Well, not really. Oh, wow. Years old. We're twins now. I mean, <laughs> we grew up together. As I was trying to say, and oh, I've seen her flaws. I've seen what kind of a person she is. <laughs> So she's not up here because she's the greatest example of how not to waste your life, but she's up here because I know it's her heart not to waste her life. And that and that's all it is. Is she has a desire to live for Christ. She has a desire to see God's story command her life. She wants to live in that one. She doesn't want to live in America's or her own or the success story. She just wants God's story and to finish and say death is coming. It's gained because I did not waste my life. So um I think on occasion I would like to just try to find people and just people I know that's their desire, grab them, bring them up here so that we can um, find out from other Christians what's going on. What is God doing around the world? See it through their lens and their eyes. So um, that's the goal. Now, Michelle, you were a missionary, correct? <laughs> yes. To Uganda. Yes. Okay. So she called herself a missionary. Um, before we start, what I want to clarify right here, right now, is that what you have up here is the epitome of America's glorification for the church. What I mean is, I'm a pastor, she's a missionary. How often do you hear pastors say, and who knows, we might have pastors and missionaries in here for the future, and that's always the glorified ones. Or, if you're at, um, I know this happens at Biola, they have a team that's going to go on the mission field during the summer. So what do they do at chapel? Well, all the missionaries stand up and they pray for the missionaries. As if the doctors and the businessmen aren't important. Like, they don't have a special need to pray for role. There, there's this glorification of the missionary in the church, is what I'm saying. Um, I want to defunct that. Because I know her. <laughs> I want to defunct that too because, honestly, guys, God's call for you is equal to mine and hers and the person next to you because the same God called you. The same God is calling you to where you're to be. And according to Jesus and at what we're getting into with history, our series, is we're seeing that we are, as a Christian, you are a, quote, missionary. I mean, it's your goal in life to spread his story and to include people into it. So, yeah. for all we know, <laughs> you and I are some of the worst Christians ever, and God thought necessary to send us into those types of places so that we'd stay close to him. That's, for all we know, that's what it really is. We might be the worst Christians ever. <laughs> so, all right. Um, we'll pray and we'll start. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, we pray that tonight you would be exalted in the way that you work across the globe and the way that you work in lives. And um, Lord, we ask that you would go before our mouths here and their ears, and that in no possible way would we misrepresent or stifle any of your glory here. You be the king and the crown and the object of our affections, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Shell. How is it that a person like you, at the age of 18, that's what I told you were, right, when you went? Yeah. 18, desires to go to Uganda for six months 
when you've never even really left your house, your family, never really left the American soil, except on vacation trips, <laughs> how is it that a girl like you even finds that at all remotely desirous to go to a place like Uganda? Yeah. Um, well, I, I like how you started it with talking about missionary, because that like drove me crazy the last like year. It's like, okay, I went to a missionary training school. Because that's what they call it. It really is just like Bible college, okay? And then people call you like a missionary because you're going to another country. And it like really started to irritate me because I'm like, I'm not a missionary. Like, because yeah, just like you were saying, like, oh, like there's pastors and there's missionaries. I always felt like they were kind of favored. I'm like, I'm this, no, like, no, like, definitely not. So the Lord kind of like slimmed it down for me in school and was like, Michelle, a missionary is only somebody. Simply, it's somebody who loves Jesus. That's what a missionary is. And the root of missionary, if you look at the word, it means sent out one. So all it is is somebody who's sent out to tell somebody something else, right? So that's the Great Commission. We were all commissioned to be sent out and to share our testimony of what God's done in our life, right? So they're like simplified it for me. It's like, Michelle, a missionary is just somebody who loves Jesus who's living their life loving him, and as they walk down the road with Christ, whoever he brings in your path, what's the greatest lots? Love, I've commanded you to love one another, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? So you're walking in life, you're loving Jesus, and whoever he places in your path, that's your neighbor in the moment, so just help him out. That's all it is. That's missions work. And when I was in Africa, the Lord like brought it to reality. And when nothing was glamorous about the mission field or how they make it look at church when they're praying over missionaries, there's, there are moments where there's absolutely nothing glamorous. <laughs> and I wrote a journal entry about it. When nothing is glamorous, that's when it comes down to, do I love Jesus? Because if I love Jesus, it's going to sustain me through those times. But if not... Well, it's going to be a struggle, that's for sure. So, um, okay, to answer your question, sorry, I just wanted to do that disclaimer. Um, how did, well, for any of you who've, like, ever wondered, like, if God really cares to be super detailed and involved in our life, he does. And um, when I was a freshman in high school, the Lord brought this ministry called Pottersville Ministries into my life, just through word of mouth, and then we ended up going on vacation to Montana, and I visited the school, and at that time, the Lord just ministered in my heart with peace. You'll come back here one day. I'm going to use you, and I'll be glorified. And so he specifically told me he'd use me in music. Um, so I came back, and in high school, I learned how to play guitar, and I love singing. So I did that. And then um, when I graduated from high school, um, I was going to go to Pottersfield Ranch and do this Bible college. But timing didn't work out, so I ended up doing something else for a year. Then I finally made my way up there. Well, faithful to his word, God did use me in music there in a way I couldn't imagine. Just my journal entries to the Lord, because I struggled as a student, um, turned into a song that the Lord told me, you need to give this to the director. And uh, I did. And he flew me to Washington to record the song and play it in front of thousands of people. And the Lord used that song to pave the way for me to get to Africa. Because I wasn't planning on going to Africa. It was set up that I would go and spend two months in the Philippines helping this family that's adopted 20 kids, and they just need help. <laughs> so I was just going to go and like change diapers and just be there. And then the Lord changed everything with writing this song, and it ended up sending me to Africa. 
So God was faithful to his word. So that to say that the Lord had put a stirring in my heart when I was young, but it came to fulfillment after high school and brought me there. And it was just by being vulnerable and sensitive to the little leadings of the Holy Spirit. Like, go give that song to the director. Okay, God, no, that's crazy. <laughs> like, that guy's, like, big. His wife, like, has recorded, like, CD after CD after CD. Like, I'm not giving him my little song. But I did, and God used it to open bigger doors. So the more steps of faith you take and the bigger steps of faith you take, it seems the bigger the doors get open. Mm. And it got me to Africa. So it sounds like um, one of the best things to do is to actually stop trying to hold a death grip on your own plans. And this is what I'm doing, and I'm going to do it, and God's going to bless it because I've been praying for it. Just like let go of that and say, all right, God might have a better story in mind. Absolutely, because I am definitely not doing what I thought I was going to do with my life and what I'm pursuing to do now. Um, when I was young, I was set on a career. Like, I knew what I wanted to do since I was young. So when I was graduating high school and all my friends were like, oh, I don't know what to do, I was like, huh, sucks for you. I know what <laughs> I want to do with my life. Um, I wanted to do hair, and um, then through just through seeking the Lord, he took away that desire. Like, that sounds crazy, but he really did. I was at the school of worship, and I was learning about worship, and just seeking the Lord in that year and going through a lot, he took away that desire to do hair, but he replaced it. So, like, when God, he gives and he takes away, but when he takes away, he replaces, if you're, if you're listening, or he's going to show you a lesson or showing you the new direction that he's taking you for a reason. He doesn't just take it away to take it away. So he took away that and put in me a desire to do missions work. And so, um, and uh, I hated writing when I was young. Like, I hated writing. And now my job's going to consist of writing every day. And I love writing with passion. Now. <laughs> so it's just I, it sounds like crazy. I sound like a jumbled mess. But really, it's when you lay your plans out before the Lord, and instead of saying, oh, well, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord, and he'll give me the desires of my heart, but really, like, learning what it means to delight yourself in the Lord, you're, you, I don't know, I feel like we come to him, and we're like, delight myself in you, and he'll give me the desires of my heart, and then it's like, but you're holding on to your desires, but then when you really learn to just, like, lay them at the cross, he brings them back to you in such a beautiful, such a godlike way to where you cannot deny that it's God. And even if you're nervous, so nervous to do what you're about to do, like I'm really nervous about the job I'm stepping into that involves writing and stuff, but I have peace that surpasses any understanding, which only comes from Christ. Yeah. So it sounds like um, everything that God has led you to do and be part of, you actually really, really enjoy. Yeah. It's nothing, nothing like, no. sure, there might be some things that are, like, hard. Like, I've never done that before. It's a stretch for me. But but as you enter in, you, like, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And God has never, even in the midst of, like, changing what you expected would happen, it's never been, like, dreaded, like, Uganda, what in the world are you talking about? I am not going. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> like, there's, there's no greater joy than, like, it's, like, when you love the Lord, you love the things that he places in your path to do. Because you love him. And so the jobs you're doing, you're not really like, the job isn't what's important. It's how I do it for the one who's watching me do the job. 
So when I was like in Africa, one of the greatest moments was being embraced by a bunch of smelly, smelly, dirt poor fishing village children running after me, calling my name and giving me a big hug. Does that sound like what Little Miss wanted to do hair with her life would like to do? Like they were smelly and they're all over me. Um, but I never had more joy than in that moment. Like when I think of ministry, I think of that moment because ministry can be really hard and laborsome and Africa proved that to be so. But the moments of fruit or those moments that you remember are so beautiful. It, it's beyond any satisfaction I've ever gotten from anything the world's offered. Because it's only from Christ. It's giving love. It's giving Christ's love to children that can never give it back to you. That reminds me, um, David Livingston is considered the pioneer missionary to Africa. Mm-hmm. And when he got back, um, of course, Africa is very rough, much rougher than it is today, back in David Livingston's time. Um, he was asked, like, was it hard for you to be amongst all the sickness and the hardship and the heat and the different people and just sacrificing your life to go to Africa? And he startled the Cambridge group he was talking to by saying, I did not give up a single thing. Can you relate to that at all? <laughs> um like, yes, but I feel like weird saying that. But, I mean, um, yeah, because, yeah. Because? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes it's just, like, it's, like, experience. Like, you don't know until, like, you're walking by faith and you don't have any idea what you're doing next with your life or even how you got to where you are. But you know that you're there and you know you have a call. And your call is just to love Jesus. I really didn't know much beyond that. The job assignments I was given from the church in Africa was like, I couldn't do it. They asked me to be a part of the worship team and to restore the heart of worship to the members. That's not something I can do. That is... You don't even sing in Ugandan, do you? No, I don't speak the language. Like, (laughs) I can't do that. That is... God can only restore worship to a heart. And so I spent a lot of my time there just so like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I'm so struggling with my teammates and so many, just so many things that is like, this is not what I want. This isn't going the way I want it to go. And so you could see, like, you could look at that life and say, wow, she lost a lot. Like, she could have had everything mapped out. She could be living at home with mommy and daddy, all comfortable. And, like, you could say that it's lost, but it wasn't lost at all. It was like I had gained so much. I came, sold my car and left behind my comforts to go to Africa, but I gained from them. I feel like I went there to help them. Yeah, right. They taught me so much more than I ever was able to give to them. So I agree with him in how he said that. You don't lose anything when you're serving Christ. You're the one who gains. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) So you led worship for a church in Uganda. Yes. Um, My primary job was... um, the worship team at a Calvary Chapel in Entebbe, Uganda. Um, when I got there, the pastor told me, the team doesn't really have issues with music. They just don't really have the heart of worship. Oh, okay. All right. So I observed the worship team because when you enter into another culture, you have to be really sensitive to cultural things. Like in America, we don't have to be so sensitive because we're a mish of different cultures, right? So we do things that offend each other, but then it doesn't really offend us because we're 
it's it's part of the American culture to have different cultures. Right. But there you have to be very careful. It's like, you know, I had to wear skirts for six months. Just different things like that, just to be culturally sensitive. And so, um, so I couldn't just come in and be like, okay, that's wrong, that's wrong, and that's wrong. So I observed the worship team for a few weeks, and what I observed broke my heart. It, was, it wasn't worship. You, know, it's, you can't argue with one another and then go on stage like... You know, it's like yelling at one another and then, oh, praise him. <laughs> like, no, that's not worship. And um, so I had a lot of struggle with it. And I just said to the Lord, like, I don't know what I'm called to do here. I don't know what I'm doing. And and I was facing the biggest struggle of my time there, which I'm sure we can get to. But, um, but the Lord was like, but you can pray because you do have the heart of worship. And I hear the prayers of my people. So I started to pray for the team, and meanwhile, the worship leader was asked to step down, which then put me in to do everything in Luganda and English and all sorts of crazy African fast-paced songs that I didn't know what in the world I was doing. But he gives you the strength in the moment, and he gives you what you need. Mm. And um, I watched God transform that worship team, and I was not a part of it except for through prayer. And um, God transformed that worship team to now when I think of prayer, I'm immediately back in the little green room with that group. And each of them, 20 members, that asked, can we go pray before we start the service? They go in the green room and all pray in their mother tongue. There's so many different tribal dialect languages there. They're all praying in their mother tongue. And uh, at the same time, it is just like a symphony of chaos to the world, (laughs) but beautiful to God. And then at the very end, they just all finished in a song together and said, amen. Let's go worship. And we went on stage and led worship. And... Like, tonight, I was just crying during worship because we sang a song that we used to always sing there in Africa. And it's just like, like, those are moments where you're, like, touched forevermore by the Lord because of your obedience to just do what he was asking you to do, even when the task was surmountable. Like, I could never have done it. But what's beautiful about that is then to live is Christ, right? Because I can't do it. To live is not Michelle. To live is not what Michelle can do. To live has to be Christ. It has to be Christ. And I ended up losing my voice like three months in. I got a really bad cough. And um, I couldn't, I could barely sing. There would be Sunday mornings when they'd say, Good morning, Michelle. I'd be like, Good morning. Like nothing would come out. And, um, but when worship started, I could sing for 45 minutes. And then it's back to not being able to talk. Huh. That's God. Like I don't know how else to say it, but when you come to an end of yourself, you see Christ living through you, you know? So it's awesome. It's really cool. That's really cool to hear. Um, because I think so often we're like the church, Christianity. Like we think of what we know. We think of Tree of Life Sunday nights, college group Monday nights, yeah. whatever other church we go to. Mm-hmm. We think of like the American thing. Yeah. And I think so often um, we, particularly in America, are guilty of completely forgetting the rest of the body of Christ. There are Christians... In Africa, apparently. <laughs> like, there's a whole church in Africa. There's, there's the Chinese Christians. Uh, what we're part of as the body of Christ is global. And I think for someone like me, who's never seen the church in Africa, I think we just want to know, like, what are some of the basic differences between Christianity there and here, or at least the way they practice Christianity? Yeah. I might have to look at my notes on this one because I actually had to think about this one a lot. Um, okay, where is that? Um, third? Thank you. Um, okay, well, obviously, it's a third world. 
So it's definitely different than living here in first world, which is going to affect the church in many ways. Like it's not really, like here when tithes and offerings go around, majority of us can give tithes and offerings. It's more of a personal struggle of, oh, I don't want to give up my own money. But there, some of those, many of those moms can barely even feed their kids for the week. So when they're being asked to give tithes and offerings and when they give, it's really sacrificial giving. It's not just all sacrifice from my hobby funds. So that's a huge difference. Um, just some primary differences in like, um, okay, they are dirt poor. So I think that when we hear, there's something wrong with this. This is just how, how it is. When we hear verses like Christ, the riches you have in Christ, that to us as believers, the storehouses of heaven and all the blessings needed in Christ Jesus are available to us. I think we hear that and we're like, oh, okay, sounds great. Okay, so um, I'll get to that later, but right now i got to deal with this problem. Whereas there, they don't have like the distractions of so many little problems coming to them all the time. Like Their problems are major. It's like, how am I going to feed my family today? Or how am I going to do this or that? They're major problems. So to them, being so poor in earthly things, when they hear that in Christ they have all the riches of heaven, they're like, what? Tell me what? And so they really listen. Whereas here, I think that to us it's like, okay, that's great, but I have riches here too. Yeah, Christ. So that's, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, often Christ is portrayed as an alternative Yeah. for whatever you're into here. Um. Yes, I think that they just kind of, they apply promises different because they have nothing else. And we are, I think we'll all admit as Americans, we're very distracted people. We're constantly distracted mm-hmm. by little things that America, like our conveniences, you know, like our iPhones and things like that. Like they become distractions, not always. They're, they're great tools if you're using it properly, but they can become a distraction. So to them not having distraction, they wake up and they walk everywhere. Like they will walk an hour to church. So they show up at church. Church starts at 10. <laughs> get <that>. Yeah. <laughs> African time. Church doesn't usually start at 10. Church starts when people can get there. Because if it starts raining and it's the rainy season, it starts raining at 9 o'clock or 9.30. Church is probably going to be move back to like 11 or 11.30 because people can't walk in the rain. If they get sick and they get a cold, it's a lot different there. Their immune systems are not strong. Like Something like that can kill them. So church gets put on hold. So it's being like way more flexible. Or on a Wednesday night, I like look down at the ladies or on Sunday mornings, like they're high heels. They dress their best for church. They dress their best. Hmm. The ladies are in their high heels, but there's three inches of mud because they just walk to church. And it's just like, that would never never be accepted in the American church. Could you imagine if I came in here with mud on my shoes? Like, it would be like, what a freak. So differences like that, just like the, the struggle to get to church. And so I think that when they sit down at church, it's like, teach me. And they don't have Bibles. I can't tell you how many people begged us to buy them Bibles. They don't have the Bible at their disposal. So when the pastor's opening the word and teaching it to them, they're hanging on every word because that's all they're getting for the week. And they're facing hard things. So in relation to this and like their poverty and just the whole difference in their needs, um, if a nation like Uganda could ask a group like Tree of Life to do one thing for them, mm-hmm. what would you think it would be? Um, 
school fees. I know that sounds so weird, but that is probably what we were asked the most in our time in Africa is school fees. Can I please have school fees? Because they are hungry for education. Like their culture does not have much hope. We have a lot of hope in America. It's the American dream, right? When you graduate, you could go to school for anything and you be can become what you want to become. But it's not like that for them. They don't really have hope beyond because they don't have education. To go to school is very expensive and it's not provided through the government. So they are just begging for school fees so that they can learn, so that they can hopefully get past what their parents ever did with life. Because if they don't get a further education, they're going to fall into whatever their mom and dad did. And most of the time they don't have a dad to follow, so I don't even know what they'll end up falling into. Um, so school fees, like if you guys did little fundraisers, like a car wash every once in a while and raised a few hundred dollars, school fees are not much to us. Like a whole year of school for a student there is like $50. Wow. 50 US dollars. But to them, it's outrageous. It's an insurmountable cost that they'll never be able to raise because if they're lucky enough to have a job, they're paid like, gosh, like equivalent to maybe one US dollar for a 10 hour shift. Two US dollars maybe for 10 hours. Not much, very little. Now, earlier you mentioned that their immune system isn't very good, a cold can kill them. Mm -hmm. um, they obviously get more illnesses than we get, for example, malaria. Mm -hmm. um, now, I know that you caught malaria while you were in Uganda. Yeah. And I, w take us in like your mind at that moment just a little <laughs> bit, just briefly, because I know there's probably tons. Because I know on this side of the soil, you had people praying for you on our Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon prayer meetings all the time, Sunday night prayer meetings, Thursday prayer meetings. You're always mentioned in prayer. And, um, and I know, like, for our family, not our parents, but, like, our extended family, like grandmas and aunts oh and uncles, <laughs> they thought she was going to die. <laughs> they were actually mad that you were in Uganda yeah. and had malaria. Yeah. Um, so did, like, did death ever cross your mind, especially hearing about um, the youth call team losing a member to complications of malaria was there ever like that fear like just take us briefly what went through you during yeah that sickness? I mean malaria is something that's talked about in Africa all the time and I would never have been able to imagine what it's like unless I had experienced it this is not like anything we have in the US it's awful and uh yeah when I had it like I knew I wasn't gonna die because I was like on medication I was under doctors like care but you feel like you're gonna die or maybe you you want to die because of the way you feel. Um, and at that point, I had been there for a month, and so I was feeling very lonely. I was not getting along with my teammates. And I had the job at the church, which was a task I had no idea how to do. So I honestly was just like, if anybody offered me a plane ticket home, I would have like lunged after it and gone home in a heartbeat. Like I was so homesick. Because nothing is the same in Africa. It's a whole different world. Like, it's third world. It's like three worlds away. Like, when I'm not there, I forget about so much of it because it, there's nothing. That's this. There's, there's very few similarities. It's a different world. But, um, so I was getting sick all the time, and I was like, oh, it just must have been what I ate the night before. You know, the water <laughs> there's bad. Maybe I got a little bit of the real water in my cup or something. Um, but I was getting sick and sicker and sicker every week. And uh, one morning it just like overtook me and I just like couldn't do anything. I just 
pounding headache. Like, felt like I was going to throw up, but nothing would come out. And um, I'm sitting there, and, like, this is when I journaled that nothing is glamorous because I'm like, sitting there just so desiring to puke whatever it is that's in me that I don't even know. It's just awful feeling. But nothing's coming, and it finally breaks, and then I have ants crawling all over me, like all over me. And I have a trash bag, and nobody else is home, and I'm just like because they all had to go do whatever ministry they're doing. And I was like, go without me. I can't even walk. And so, like, I just looked down. And then I noticed it got all over my skirt. And I hate this skirt. I hate that I have to be wearing a skirt. Like, I hated everything about the moment. And I was like, there is nothing glamorous about this. It's in my hair. It's, like, horrible. And I'm just like, why am I here? <laughs> and you just, like, start. But that's where your faith is tested. And you have to stand upon that God called me. To come here and God called me to share love with his people and that is why I'm here but yeah. malaria is horrible like you have bad headache it's like the cold and flu mixed together but all the while your body is just internally aching and then you're so weak it takes all your strength out of you so I spent a, like a week on the couch after that and I couldn't sleep so it was just like being awake in pain for days on end but so in what ways did this stretch your faith or increase it or or maybe another way to even ask is, since Jesus promised the disciples when he sent them out to the nations, I will be with you always. Mm -hmm. In what ways did you sense God's presence and was your faith grown through this? Yeah, so it turns out that I had had malaria for a month before. I didn't, just didn't know it. So it was recirculating and recircling and stronger. Um, I was on an island trip. We did work, missions work, to really aid populated islands. So we take a boat. And so I went to an island, stayed overnight, and it poured rain. So I slept in like a puddle of water, which is what they say sparked the malaria because I like was in the elements all night. It's what sparked it to come on me and be so affected. Um, but I remember when I was coming back from that trip that I knew I was where the Lord was calling me to be. And I was journaling to the Lord. I was like, I know I'm where you want me to be. And I was listening to a message by a pastor talking about when they were going across the Sea of Galilee as the disciples, and then the storm comes. And Christ says, oh, you have little faith. Like, I promise you we'd make it to the other side. I said, let us cross over to the other side. Did you not hear me? Like, why do you doubt now just because the waves are pounding and you think you're going to die? And so the pastor was talking about how God will sometimes take us through storms of correction when we need it because he's a loving father. But when you're in the center of his will, sometimes storms will come and you wonder why. Those are storms of perfection. It's God wanting to refine you and take you deeper in him. So I remember just like hearing that and I was like, well, I'm in your will, God. And then I got back and the next morning I woke up with malaria. And it was just like the Lord is like, this is a storm of perfection because I want your faith refined. I want to take you deeper. Hmm. And like all the lessons I learned in Africa is nothing I couldn't have learned here. Yep. It's lessons that I learned here growing up and stuff. It's just the Lord took it took me deeper. And honestly, I think it's just because I was so stubborn. He had to take me halfway across hmm. the world to learn these lessons in very vivid, very tangible, experiential ways because I'm a very stubborn person. So he just took me deeper. So it made my faith more grounded. So then through all that that God showed you. Yeah. Now that you're on this side of your trip to mm -hmm. Uganda, how has that mission changed the way you see and understand your place in life or your purpose in life? That all of us are called to be missionaries. That we're all called to love Jesus and just to help whatever neighbor it is that places in your path. 
like missions mindedness has become so much more to me. When we were there in Africa, we had a team from Philadelphia come and they were on a mission trip. And then so we were invited to join them. And so it was going to be a mission trip within a mission trip. And I was like, <laughs> "Oh my gosh, this is rad. Like how hardcore is that? Like I can totally like do I get a medal for that or something?" So we did like this hardcore mission trip after 6 months of already being on a mission trip. But what it did for me, like it just like gave me this vision of like that missions trips, like we hype them so much, but life, your life is a drawn out missions trip. You are a pilgrim on this earth. Like this earth is not our home, right? So while we're here, God has sent us out. He's left us in the world for a reason. Like if Christ came and died for us and wanted us just to be in heaven, he would have taken us with him when he went. But he left us here for a reason. So that makes you have to ask, why am I here? Why did you send me out into the world? Because I sent you out into the world to show them a different world. That through your life, they would see the life to come. That through your life, they'd see me shining through it. That you're living for something beyond here. And so to me, it's just that life is like come to be this picture that life is a long mission trip. And every stop you do, when I go to the grocery store, that is a mission stop. It's a missions opportunity. It's a little mini missions trip if I choose to look at it that way. I can go into Jensen's and get really upset that people are in line buying their $4 lattes, not caring about the rest of the world, and then they're all like in their own world on their iPhones bumping into me and the old lady is just taking forever to grab the crate of eggs. Like You can get frustrated or... You can choose to see opportunities in all of it. Maybe she's having a hard time finding the eggs she needs. I can ask her if she needs help. Maybe that worker is really down. I could just tell her that she looks cute today or something. Maybe guys shouldn't try that one. But, um, <laughs> um, but you, if you choose to see your life as an opportunity for missions, God will give you opportunities to bring eternity into the present. You know, what I learned a big part in Africa, or just in life in general right now, is that the enemy is always trying to get us to live either in the future or in the past. Have you ever felt that? It's like, why am I always just so discontent where I, with where I am today? It's like, I always want that to happen. Or, oh man, life was great back then. You remember those days? But it's like, the enemy is always trying to get you to live in one or the other. You know why? Because if the enemy can get you to worry about the future, he's already defeated you. Because God only gave you the strength for today. And if he gets you to dwell on the past, you're not going to be effective right now. Because the enemy knows that right now, if you're content with where the Lord has you and you're using the opportunities God's brought into your life, that's where eternity meets us. Eternity meets the heart that's willing to go wherever the Lord tells them to go. And it's just available to be used by the Lord. It doesn't mean you have to go to Africa or move or go to Bible college. It just means being available and having ears that are open to hear him speak because he is speaking all the time. He's speaking all the time. It's just a matter of if we want to listen and if we're going to listen. Listening to God in Uganda, what, what did it seem like he constantly told you or encouraged you? Like what, what means of grace were you constantly pulling on? And was there a special verse that went in connection mm -hmm. with that? Yeah, it's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's looking for those whose hearts are loyal to them, loyal to him. Why? 
to show himself strong on their behalf. And I had always read that verse and thought, oh, he's looking for hearts that are loyal. I'm loyal. Hey, God, pick me. But, like, <laughs> then I, it became so much more real there. It's like, I'm searching for those whose hearts are loyal to me. Why? Because I want to show myself strong on your behalf. Not to take you to great places and bless you, but that the world would see me in you. So I might put you in really hard situations so that it's the end of you. It's the beginning of Christ being seen. Um, and so that verse is constant like constantly ringing in my head just God you have to be my strength right now like you desire to show yourself strong on my behalf so I'm going to trust that you're going to show yourself strong on my behalf instead mm. that's good that's a really good reminder for I think all of us just with our everyday life yeah always pulling on God's grace for our next step yeah well last question Shell. Mm-hmm. what would you say to those who don't want to waste their life. How would you encourage them to to live? To do with their life? I think to measure everything in the sight of eternity. I know that sounds so cliche. But like seriously, to measure everything in eternity. Like, okay, what I'm frustrated about right now, in this moment, does it really matter when I get to heaven? <laughs> Chances are it doesn't. Or what I'm pursuing and putting all of my time and energy and effort into right now, is this really getting me closer to eternity? Is this showing me more of what the cross represents? Because there are many, many lovers of the cross, but there's very few people that are willing to bear it. Is you look around, so many people wear cross necklaces as fashion. And it, I just, I wonder, do you really love the cross or do you just love to wear it? Do you love it because it makes you feel safe? It makes you feel like, oh, Jesus loves me and he died for me, so I'm good. But if you really love the cross, the cross is laying down yourself. The cross is not a light thing. It is a heavy burden to carry. The cross cost Jesus his life. And the cross represents something beyond the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because the resurrection is what makes the cross represent that a tribe of every tongue and color and every nation would be represented before the Lord one day to proclaim that he is Lord. That's what the cross represents. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is God. And um, so living with the cross in mind would weigh everything for eternity. Because am I, is what I'm facing or what I'm pursuing today leading me to that moment when I will see every knee bow and proclaim that Christ is Lord? Because that is the reason he left me on earth, is to pursue that goal. That is the goal of God's heart. Mm. That God's, the whole story of the Bible is his redemption of mankind, right? Mm. And it all is completed when every knee bows and proclaims that he is Lord. So... I would say to not waste your life is to measure your life and put it on the scale with eternity and see where it lines up. If you're pursuing being a doctor, how are you going to use that for eternity? Because that has such awesome opportunity to be used and minister to people for eternity's sake. Or I want to be a teacher. Like you can use that to glorify the Lord. Just measuring like what you're doing today based on Uh eternity. If you are alive and have breath all of you here 
chances are you have a purpose. Otherwise, why wouldn't Christ take you to heaven the minute you get saved? Yeah, we were singing that tonight with Mighty to Save, and it hit me um, that he's the author of salvation. And so if he chose to, like an author signs his name, right? I always think of that when I think of an author. They sign, right? And that's like their accomplishment. Like, it is finished. Like, I wrote this book. It's mine. I can rightfully <laughs> sign it. If he is the author of salvation, and he promises in Hebrews that he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, if he signed your name with his blood, he's not done. If he signed to save you, he's going to sign to live through you. And the very same God that you trusted for your salvation, you're now to trust for your sanctification and your living out mm. of life. It's so funny to me, and it's became real to me just a little bit ago. Like, I so often am like, oh, I need Christ to forgive me of my sins. I cannot live without Christ forgiving me of my sins. He's the only remission for them, right? We all say that, right? But how often is it that it's like, I think I can attain this, or I can do that, or I need to do this for my salvation, or I need to do that to be a better person, and then I forget that my life is hidden in Christ, and it's Christ that accomplishes those things through me. If I had to trust him for salvation, I have to trust him for living for him now, too. Mm. Because it says that your life died and was hidden in Christ. So then that's what it means to live as Christ. It's to live through the power of Christ, to live for the glory of Christ, and to live with Christ walking in every step beside you, just loving the people he puts in your path because you love him. It's just responding to his love upon you first. So... To live as Christ means when you just live, um, you're receiving, you're not achieving. Mm. We didn't achieve our salvation, so why should we achieve glorifying God? We receive our salvation, and in the same way, we receive what is necessary for God's mission for us from Christ. And if anything, that's what I heard from Michelle this whole time, was... Uganda and songwriting and all these things that have happened I achieved none of it I simply relinquished my story and received God's and let him do it and guys please understand that Christianity is not a religion that says achieve 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 God needs you to make him look better because he's <laughs> kind of insecure today it's not achieving, it's receiving whom the all-glorious God already wants to pour out upon us and letting the world see it work through us in us. Because he will reveal himself in the last day. Like, he doesn't need our help to do it. But he chooses today to use your life, if you're willing, to show the world his glory, a glimpse of his glory here and now. And the joy that you have when you get to be a part of that is, I can't, I can't put words into it. I think each of you have experienced it and I want to experience it more. I know that when I get a taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. When I taste and see that he's good, I just want to taste more and I want to see more. And so Africa was hard, but I am so willing to go back or go somewhere else because I know that it's in those hard times that he is more glorified. And not that it needs to be hard. You can glorify him now if things are going great, but for me personally, it takes hard times for me to find my complete satisfaction in him. And he's glorified when I'm satisfied in him being my life. Not just being a part of my life, but being mm. all of my life. Christ is most glorified in us.
when we are most satisfied in him. Thanks, Joel. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Let's pray, guys. Father, we praise you for your wondrous works and for your story and your heart for the nations and that you choose to use uh, people like us to restore those nations to yourself. Father, we not we don't want to waste our life. We want our life to say to live is Christ, to die is gain. So use us, Father. Guide us as we choose to love your story more than our own. So, Spirit of the living God, I pray that you'd fall afresh on us, that you would use us, you would mold us, you would melt us, and you would fill us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.